This is a Dece World production in association with Pants Pending Studios. Hey everyone, it's Deese, and I'm here to tell you about a brand new show called Some Imperfections, the advice podcast hosted by Abby Buckenberger, Sierra Kosi, and myself. They are certified life coaches, and I'm a comedian. They'll answer all your questions about life, love, spirituality, and much more, and I'll chime in with stories about how when I was in seventh grade, my friend and I dropped acid, and then my friend tried to fight our teacher. So tune in every other Wednesday at decomedy.com, IamAlliance.me, or follow us on Spotify. And go to sub.imperfections on Instagram to send us your anonymous topics and questions. We'll see you there. You are now listening to The Social Hour. They're not PC So if occasional foul language turns you off Then you have all been warned This is the call before the storm Get ready for the social hour Live from Peace World Studios in Spokane, Washington This is The Social Hour. On today's show, author Kelly Mitchell. And now your host. He was watching the news and found out that the American economy sucks, gas prices are at an all-time high, and there's war in the Middle East. So he wants to know if that means there's a Democrat or a Republican in office. Decasius. Malab Keen, everyone. Welcome to the show. This is the Social Hour. I am Deese. Thanks for coming around, guys. We have a great episode. Author Kelly Mitchell on the show. She's written a few books. We talked to her about some uh, interesting stuff, guys. Uh, educational reform, uh, why balconies are worse than you think they are, and a whole lot, lot more. Uh, before we get into that with Kelly, guys, quick shout out to our sponsor, Blue Spot Comics. We want to thank them. For uh, being a part of the show, guys, if you are a comic book fan or just like collectibles or want to start spending those Biden bucks, go to Blue Spot Comics. You can find them at Blue Spot Comics on Instagram or Facebook. They're your newest online source for new comic books, back issues, rare variants, number ones, all sorts of goodies, uh, great collectibles, Star Wars co- uh, collectibles, and much, much more, guys. So check them out. Tell them I sent you, and you'll get an extra 10% off your first order. Pretty sweet deal, guys. That's it. Otherwise, go to dececomedy.com. Check out what's going on uh, across the network. we got live shows. I just booked some stuff in Florida, Oklahoma, Texas. We're going to be all over by the end of this year. It's going to be nuts, guys. Uh, so check all that shit out. But well, right now, we're going to get into it with our guest. Please give it up for Kelly Mitchell. Uh, after 400 episodes, I'm at a point where... Uh, it's who knows the things that's, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, uh, me getting into politics. That's one of the things that's going to screw me is people you could go back to any timestamp on any of the 400 episodes of this show I've recorded so far and just pick something out. And I'm probably saying something horrible. Uh, <laughs> so, that's kind of awesome, though. Yeah, the I said uh, 
It Let's makes you immortal. <laughs> oh, it's yeah. Well, my career is very killable. Uh, <laughs> according to Twitter, I, I should be canceled a million times over. The oh no. Uh, one of my uh, so my show recently changed uh, over the pandemic. For the longest time, I had a crew here on the show with me. I had a producer who was on mic also, and then my news anchor. Uh, uh, my news girl, she would, you know, bring in news also was on mic talent and the three of us would do the show together and then we'd bring in a guest. That was kind of the format every week. Well, with the pandemic, I, uh, you know, dropped the rest of the crew just so I could keep doing the show via Zoom. And we've we haven't really resumed doing that. I don't know if we will. Uh, but my news girl, she's also one of my best friends, another comedian. Uh, we tour together. She's my opener in a lot of places and she's great. But she knows me better than almost anyone. And one day I said something particularly, um, uh, I'll use the word horrific. Um, (laughs) And she, you know, joking around. And I'm like, I just stop and I go, oh, my God. I'm like, that may be the worst thing I've ever said. And she, without missing a beat, she's like, no, (laughs) not even close. I'm like, not even close. She goes, not even top 10. I'm like, not even top 10. Oh, my God. I'm like, I have said way worse things than I even ever imagined. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to let that go. I would have been like, what was it? Yeah. Uh, I I don't recall what it was. I'd have to go back and I, she'd probably remember. It was pretty, it was apparently, uh, I, I thought it was bad. The worst thing I'd ever said, she, apparently... Not even in the same, not, it wouldn't even podium. So, (laughs) but, uh, anyway, so, uh, Kelly, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming to the social hour. Uh, we appreciate you being here. Um, and, uh, want to talk about everything you, uh, do. We, uh, we just did Kelly's show. These may be coming out different times though. So uh, about the same time, this is coming out. Yeah, this is coming out the third week in May. So, um, We'll get we'll get your show than mine. Um, so if you're listening to this, go back and listen to Kelly's show and listen to me on her show. So uh, and and we'll double header, double header. That's right. Um, Kelly, what is the tell everyone what the name of your show is and where they can find it? Um, well, thanks so much for having me here. And I'm with Plain Devil's Advocate, and you can find me anywhere: iHeartRadio, iTunes, uh, the Google Play thing, uh, Player FM. Shouldn't be hard to find. I'm out there. All right. Um, yeah. I, what? Uh, how long have you been doing the show for? March 1st. So it's fairly new. Yes. Um, I, it's. However, it's been in the works in my head. The little voices, they've been talking for two or three years about oh, it. Yeah. My voices so, have been yeah. talking since I was a kid. Uh, <laughs> they never stop. What was the, I mean, I obviously everyone had a lot of free time over the last year. Um, Was that kind of your, why you were finally motivated to get out and actually do the show? Um, Sort of. I've always been a writer and then, you know, COVID came and, you know, I was really hoping for the zombie apocalypse, but it, you know, I guess this is going to have to be good enough, but this closed (laughs) my business. And um, so I took that writing to a whole nother level and I was really happy to do it because it's something I've always wanted to do. Sure. And sure. Paul Coelho has this quote and it's writing is a socially acceptable form of being naked. 
And it, I just took that to heart. I love being raw. I love being authentic. I love tackling every topic there is to tackle. But the only problem with writing is that it's slow. Even though I released two books in three months of each other, it's still slow. There's so much I want to talk about. I'm so opinionated, yeah. you know, typical woman, <laughs> opinionated, and I want to get it out there. And so podcasting seemed like the perfect marriage to do that. Okay. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I love that you uh, quote Paulo Coelho because he is a, I've got a guy looking over. I have a couple of his books on my shelf here. So uh, the alchemist is my favorite. Yeah. The mind too. It's great. Yep. Well, I, it, I, it's <laughs> Sounds cliche to say, but uh, that is a book that is life-changing. I think so. Yeah. I mean, shoot, just one sentence changed my entire life. R really? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty magical. That is, uh, that is uh, and uh, I can't see the other ones. I've got a couple other his books there too, but uh, I don't know. Um, I, it's been too long. But yeah, the, uh, the Alchemist is a great, great book. So you decided to take, well, let's, we'll come back to that. Let's put a pin in that. What I want to talk about is you said you lost your business. What was your business you had before COVID hit? I was um, into, I fell into it by accident. It had nothing to do with my degree, but I guess that's normal nowadays. <laughs> yeah. um, but I fell into HOA collections and foreclosure. Oh, hey, and well, now's so, a good time. You, you think that's the time you would be killing it. Well, I mean, one, you have to have a sense of humor, obviously. And um, two, it with the moratorium and all the legislation in Nevada, I mean, it got so bad that I got into politics and I helped uh, create a 2015 law. I sat on a bipartisan committee. That was a learning experience in itself. I imagine. And, <laughs> and got a bill passed um, that actually changed the way the state did things. But then when COVID hit, a moratorium came down and we were kind of being struggled by, um, or strangled by legislation as it was. And so it just, it got to be too costly for me. And now I just heard another law is coming down um, in, a, in the next couple of months, it would have put me out of business anyway. Really? So what's, yeah, so it couldn't have really been at a better time. Yeah. I mean, well, that it's, I love to hear not, I don't love to hear the fact that you lost your business, but what I do love to hear is people capitalizing on, um, we'll just say time this last year and you gained time by losing your business. Uh, but, but you capitalized on it. You made the best of it in transition to, it sounds like something you enjoy, more and have more of a passion for not that you didn't love stripping people of all their money um but they, <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding they didn't have money that's why you're calling them I, yeah so i can like totally sleep now so it's like a whole new world <laughs> yeah the uh i mean that you got to do you get to do something you 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 love i do and it was always an undercurrent i mean you know ever since i was a teenager and i had the well we'll just say angry girl bands. Cause I'm not going to admit to the bad boy bands that I had up there <laughs> um, on my walls. But I mean, you know, if something was upsetting me. I wrote about it. If I, if something was good, I wrote about it. I was writing poetry songs. I mean, everything all the time. It was always with me and I'm just, I'm thrilled to, to get it out. Sure. What now, what, what was the first thing you said? you you got two books you've put out. Is that right? I did. Yeah. What are, what are the books and where can people find them? Um, well, the first one is Tour of Insanity. It's a manifesto for better home design. Um, and it is completely comical, but it's also really practical. 
and I've got a dark sense of humor. And we were trying to figure out how to make a home design book mildly to moderately entertaining. Yeah. And I was able to take that to another level. Sure. Um, simply, you know, there's there's a history for everything that you see. So once you go back and you look at what the history is, then there's this sliding scale of how practical and relevant it is. And that's where the funny is. <laughs> so, I mean, that's where I found it. And some of the stories of why things are still in our homes, it's, it's pretty insane. And so I kind of took everybody on a wild ride on that. And it's only like 89 pages. It's a quick read. It's a lot of fun. Sure. And people didn't expect it to be what it is. And then I flipped script and went real serious on educational reform and it's clap if you can hear me um and i take it from uh what children should be learning in home to pre-k the kinds of things that should be addressed like virtues service learning um, financial literacy cultural intelligence emotional intelligence um and just you know an all-round education that's better for for the mind and for the body and for the soul and it it allows people to prosper as a nation because you're you're stopping the paycheck to paycheck living yeah. you're encouraging the financial wellness out of the whole thing and it's just a lot of people they took those life skills out and um higher education could be a lot less expensive and so i i went into that too so i i have that's right i i did see that on your website i have a lot of questions about that um because that is something i have a lot of opinions on uh, but but um before we get into that i want to ask you in your design book what is uh, one thing that's still in our home that's ridiculous that had like a silly purpose to begin with? It's archaic. What is one of those that you mentioned that those are, there's a bunch of those. What is, what is one? Faux balconies. A, what, a faux balcony? I'll probably never get over those. What, why, was there a reason <laughs> they created them? Well, I mean, balconies were originally, so the wealthy could go out and, take care of their business on them. And um, instead of like flailing poop over the side, which is what everybody kind of did in France and the law is still there. You can do that as long as you holler beforehand that it's coming. Yeah. So Bombs was, away. Right. So as long as you, you know, demonstrated some care and not dump that on people, it's, it's still not illegal. Um, but that's what balconies were, were made from. And I'm, I was so happy to see over the years how they changed. And now, you know, Evita standing on a balcony is way different than yeah. what it used to be. But then we diminished it back to these fake balconies that serve absolutely no purpose, but maybe a few plants. And it's just, it's, I just, I don't care for them. There's just no reason to have them other than, I mean, you don't flip through a catalog and look at, you know, designer faux balconies. That's not how they come about. It's yeah. just, it's a builder thing that doesn't need to be there. Well, I mean, leave it to builders to <laughs> throw in crap that isn't necessary. They're just trying to fluff it up, you know. Um, that's funny. I didn't know that the balconies were designed for people to. I, I assumed it was for them to throw uh, toilet paper at the peasants. I guess they're throwing the stuff they used before the before the toilet paper. They need the toilet paper thrown up to them. Um, <laughs> well, you know, you don't want to leave a ritzy party. So you just, you know, kind of go out the window, hang, do your business and come back in. 
totally acceptable. That seems like not a that <laughs> seems like not a ritzy party. I've I've never been at the Hilton and someone been like, "Excuse me, I have to go shit off the balcony." Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think at the White House Correspondents Press Dinner, people are shitting on the off the balcony on the Pennsylvania Avenue. It was a thing. I'm yeah. telling you, I'm a good researcher. <laughs> I mean, I believe it was true. I think that, but that seems like a. a I'm glad that went away. That's not, uh, I mean, I've, I've been at parties where people shit themselves. Um, none of them were, uh, well, first of all, none of those houses had a second story and most of them didn't have a foundation. They were mobile homes. Uh, (laughs) you know, that's, that's where most, that's the homes most people are shitting themselves at. Um, I'm willing to bet. So, uh, yeah, (laughs) Well, let's uh, let's talk about this educational reform thing, because I'm I'm interested in that a lot. I have a lot of opinions about education, where it's gone wrong and where it could go right, Uh, because personally, you know, as I I grew up uh, in L.A., L.A. Unified School District, which is garbage. It's essentially warehousing for children just to keep the kids off the streets for the day. Um, And someone like me. And I feel like a lot of children are this way. I knew from uh, my earliest memories are just wanting to write and do art. Like that's what I loved and it's what I turned into a career. Um, I think a lot of kids know what they want early on. Um, We just don't cultivate that. And actually, I feel like we actually repress it and um, stamp it out um, when we, we should be, we should be cultivating that. Um, You know, there's, we should fo- have, I mean, and this may be something you uh, touch on in your book, but I mean, realistically, the American education system is just based on a early, eight, late 1800s, early 1900s German uh, education system, which was designed to make um, efficient workers in, in a, co- just a cog in the wheel, not actual individuals. You're right. And, and that's exactly how I see it. It's, you know, either it's a pipeline to prison or it's a pipeline to behind a desk. Yeah. Um, you know, and they're preparing children for for graduation to go to college, not necessarily for life. And there's a difference. And there's something to be said for vocational skills that they've taken out. There's, you know, a lot of things you don't need to, to go to college for. If you know what you want to do, then you should be able to take those internships before the 12th grade yeah. and see if it's really what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, if they think if you if if they really were paying attention to kids and focusing on what they wanted to do and pushing that forward with them early on, um, not only does it help them in their eventual career, but it also just helps them in life because if a kid, part of the reason children run into trouble is because they're unfocused and you know, I mean, being a teenager, you feel rudderless, you feel like you're hopeless, you feel like you have no direction, and if you can get anyone to kind of start to hone you in and validate your feelings about what you want to do, um, you are just going to be a better human in day-to-day life and actually be more accomplished in everything you do. Yeah, and mentorship is huge. It plays a big part in my book, and it starts very young with service learning because you get introduced to so many things and so many people and hands-on experience. You're not going to get any of that in the classroom ever. Right. They, I mean, the, I've, I've said for years, like, 
do we really need to teach all the kids trigonometry unless they're going to be like an architect or something? I mean, or a chemist, like, uh, how about, you know, how about actual legitimate nutrition, how to create a home garden? Um, you, you know, uh, things like wood shop again. So you actually can take care of, uh, problems at the, uh, at your home. Um, what a, how about what a FICO score is? That's something they never taught anyone, you know, things like, things like that. And that, you know, parents aren't going to want to talk about their finances with their kids. I mean, I sure as shit don't. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I think that, I think that economy, gig economy, especially and entrepreneurship are missing from school. Um, and they should be there because most kids are entrepreneurs by the time they're 12. Right. I mean, my kids are, yeah. and they're making money. They need to to learn that just living by a budget isn't enough. You have to have a sexy credit profile to go with it. <laughs> and the reasons why you should have that sexy profile is because you can afford more. You can you can build a legacy. You can build an empire. And it's it's these things that people they're not, they're not saying they're not learning in school. Yeah, yeah. In in uh, um, I think a part of that. The, you know, you touched on is an interesting point is that the parents, parents communicating with their kids, which I feel like is another huge problem in our country today. The ki- parents aren't either, they're either not taking the time or they're just, uh, don't know how it, but you know, I mean, I think it's a weird chicken or the egg scenario. Cause I think it's, it's even harder to, um, reach children right now too because of social media and those things also um but man if you start early with kids and really stay on top of them you communication the communication barrier never really breaks down that and you know it's a question of relevance too the family dynamics have have changed so i don't think it's all part of parents not wanting to communicate with their kids or even trying but a lot of them have the education that i'm fighting against and so they, they're, they don't know how, right. and you know, Sesame street has got it going on. I mean, they, they really do because they were the first to address, um, you know, kids whose parents are in jail. They were the first to address divorced military, and they started creating all these Muppets and these resources and things like that. And so they stay relevant. They see what the family dynamic is doing and then they adjust. And, and that's why they're in so many countries now, given some of the countries don't allow them to air some of the things that Sesame Street would love to air, sure. but they, they understand those, those cultural differences and that's, they really operate with, with an intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. That is important. I mean, I, I think people don't, I think people underestimate kids a lot too. And they're, um, how f- flexible they are and how much they can actually learn and absorb and things and, and things of that nature. Instead of, you know, if you start treating kids like adults earlier, um, they start acting like adults earlier. You know, I mean, we do require as, as humans, we want some discipline. We need some restrictions. We need some like guidance and we need, um, responsibility. Like those are the things that make us better people. If you, if we just can kind of run out of control, we start to spiral out and create our own problems that are kind of just things that we like fabricate or, or make into an issue because we don't have anything to really fight against. You also need, I think pride and you, cause pride fuels ambition. Um, like if you're younger and you're, and you're doing the service learning and you're working beside people 
with things that you have an interest in, you're going to feel good about what you just did. You're going to elevate your community. You're going to set ambitions and goals that are long-term because right now everything's so immediate that everybody's into immediate gratification. I mean, there's Uber Eats and there's, you know, I want it now, I get it online. (laughs) And some of that has got got to change. And I think the focus needs to be brought back down to starting young, to helping with the community garden, to fixing cars for for people that can't afford their their cars fixed in the neighborhood. For, you know, you you get in touch because in your neighborhood is your, your employers. Those are your small businesses. Those are your mentors, your family, your friends. These are people you're going to be networking and working with. Yeah. And there's just, there's no better way to learn how to communicate across divides than being invested in what you're doing. Yeah. How do you think you get kids, you know, besides obviously parents uh, trying harder a little earlier, um, how do you think you get that to happen? Because kids do have so many opportunities to go astray. They do have so many distractions. Um, they, you know, everything is so instant gratification. You know I mean? Like, it's funny. I know so many, uh, so many friends of mine with kids that like, they're not even interested in getting a driver's license because they're just like, I, you know, whatever, <laughs> man, I'll Uber. I don't know. I just got, I got my PlayStation and my, you know, you porn. What do I else do I need? And what else do I need? It's like, right. they, they just, they don't have that drive to go out and really get and uh, explore. Um, and how do we reinstill that with everything going on? in society today well if parents are waiting until 16 to try to get a child motivated to get a license that's that's difficult yeah um it needs to be before that and i think i think having 30 hours of community service as a course um would need to happen um because you know parents don't have have a, a lot of the time because they're trying to work and I understand that and they and but I think it's it's really necessary that children get that that school is community parent and teachers I think it has to be all three um and I think that there's always businesses that are looking for people to to do things that they don't want to do themselves like you know like the community gardens and like things like that and just um having a runner and having a job i mean once once they're 16 those kids could be making money and that by then they should be learning entrepreneurship they should be learning about profit and loss statements you know income ratios they how to create a supply and demand system yeah i mean they're completely capable and i just i think we're losing our opportunity to really have them find something of their interest and grow with it. How much of that onus is on the teachers, do you think? Um, You know, as teachers who are underpaid, overworked, uh, classroom size is growing larger uh, so they can pay less attention to students um, and also kind of forced into a curriculum that, that, again, isn't necessarily what's beneficial to create uh, unique individuals. Oh, this is where everybody's butt's going to pucker and I'm going to apologize for it. In no, advance. don't apologize. Just, <laughs> just go for it. We don't apologize on this show, Kelly. I take well... back Kelly's apology <laughs> on behalf of the social. I'm going to, I don't, ed- I told Kelly at the beginning of the show, there's no FCC. I don't edit for content. I'm going to edit out your apology. 
I, well, because every time I say this, I get this face, like somebody just sucked a lemon through a straw. And I feel that education has to be year round. And the reason why I feel that is because I, there's, there's more breaks. And I don't think people realize this because when you say year round, they're like, no, but it's, it's not that bad. There's actually 45 days on 15 off. And if we kept going 45, 15, or even another mixture, there's two other mixtures you could do that two weeks off allows students that maybe weren't keeping up to get caught up Mm -hmm. and to have programs in place. Um, The teachers are less overworked. And if you're running on a track system, then the class sizes aren't so large. And then we can actually keep up with the classes that we do need to introduce instead of sucking out the life skills and shop and home ec, we can actually reintroduce those back in. Um, It'll also allow us to be globally competitive because in my book, I kind of go over where every other country is. And, you know, Japan is number one and they're starting to pull their students back there for college as well, because our colleges continue to lower their standards and have their prices go up. Right. You know, and it's, it's not bringing in the students that it used to, we're losing those to Canada and to uh, England. Um, so I kind of went over all of that. And I mean, yeah, there, there was a lot that I covered in the book, but year round also helps with suicide, teen suicide. Um, and a lot of people don't make that connection. Um, and especially with the classes that would be, be introduced, um, it, it's, for, it's for the benefit of their, of their mental wellness because they get that break period. They get time to catch up. They don't feel overworked and overstressed with all this homework. And it's just, it's a completely different culture that, I, that would be good in the school system. And so I think the teacher onus, I mean, yeah, they have some, but they're, most of them, they're just working with, with what the bureaucracy provides them. Yeah. And um, so in order for that to change, I, I think year round would have to change first before I'd actually want to point a finger at the teachers. Sure, sure. And I, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily, uh, want to imply that teachers are the ones to blame but how much you know how much do they have to do i mean what you know what i mean i guess again like you said they're stuck in the system that they're provided with so they can only do so much you know um i mean even you know it's not like you have like these revolutionary teachers that have a lot of flexibility to uh, make a big difference in someone, a kid's life anymore. They're, I think they're scared about what they can and can't say. I mean, right now they're, you know, they're losing their, or well, their license are being threatened if they don't teach critical race theory, basically. Um, and I mean, do I think critical race theory has a place in education? Sure. College level though, and not an ab, not taught as an absolute um, of mm-hmm. you have to identify, you have to do these things. you know, it's a theory. It should be taught as a theory. Like philosophy is taught as philosophy. There's, there's several different schools of thought. And I think they, they, none of them should be absolute. I just, it really bothers me. And to threaten a teacher's license with that as a teacher, I'd be terrified of what I can change, what I can't change, what I can say, what I can't say. It's, it's very limiting. Yeah. I think like, really, it should be like, uh, just don't take your pants off beyond that. Were you pretty, pretty good uh you know just right. uh, uh, yeah you know especially in today's day and age uh where 
it's got to be challenging. I mean, America in general is so divided, and it's so difficult to, uh, not difficult, near impossible to agree on anything. Um, so to agree on what our children should be taught um, has got to be difficult, too. I mean, we're almost at a point where, you know, luckily in Washington State, um, they, the charter schools, magnet schools, things like that, that option has been growing uh, pretty rapidly, which I, I don't know how you feel, but personally I'm a fan of. I like the idea that there's other options, and I, um, they're working on, you know, where the uh, it's for the funding, the money follows the kid instead of at the school. So basically wherever the child is put for schooling, that funding goes to that school instead of just mostly funneled to public schools, which have become near unusable. Correct. And um, <clears throat> I... I kind of thought about that in the in the creation of my books, which is why I I put it as a navigational guide with resources that parents can use right now and that teachers can use right now as we wait for the wheels of bureaucracy to kind of make up their mind on what they want to do. Um, you know, I threw suggestions out there for PTA meetings for government, how to get a hold of your government, how to make these changes, but the wheels are slow and it would be it would defeat the purpose for them to come up with a knee-jerk reaction, which is most of our problems anyway. Um, education to be relevant, it has to be fluid, which means it has to change, you know, as the times change. Yeah. I mean, that's how we got the system as it is. So any knee-jerk reaction, it's, that's not what I'm asking for. It's not what I want. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's got to be fluid. And also, um, I mean, realistically, it's one of those things where we we should have options. You know, why is the public school system so stringent in like this is what America offers and this is what we all do? Like, you know, especially now when we're at a day and age, like you mentioned earlier, gig economy and so many other things, there's so many options. The idea of like, I mean, I'm I dropped out of school in the middle of eighth grade. You know, I never finished junior high school. It, but, uh, you know, I managed to start my own company by my early 20s. I had a successful marketing uh, and um, it was a, you know, a business development marketing uh, company uh, consulting and then, you know, published a book, successful comedy career, things like that. Like you can do it without that rigid, uh, you know, American education. You just have to, there's other things you can learn. And I think it, we're in a day and age now where we have to explore all those opportunities, especially considering how ridiculously expensive college is and the percentage of kids who come out of college that never use their degree. Well, yeah. And they don't learn the critical thinking that all the employers are looking for. I mean, the work skills can be taught. It's, it's things like the critical, critical thinking. I mean, most of them, I mean, the statistics that I put in the book are scary as shit. And when I was a, when I was an employer and people were coming in, I'm like, I couldn't believe the things that were not there. And yeah. I'm like, oh man, I don't have, you know, 10 years to teach you this stuff. So <laughs> I'm going to have to go with the next guy. And, you know, it, it was really hard to find quality people. And that's what employers are talking about. It's not the, it's not the degree. It's the, can you critically think your way out of a digital box? Right. Is, you know, are you an innovator? Do you have ideas of your own? Or are you rigid into protocol that I could teach you? You know, it's, that's what makes the difference. And I, and I think what you did is almost now mainstream on what kids are really doing. They don't need that college debt. Yeah. All they need is, you know, the, the right focus 
upon graduation and that would come with gig economy and entrepreneurship. Do you think part of that problem that employers are running into with uh, hiring, part of that has to do with the fact that, um, you know, they're requiring an AA at least in so many jobs that still pay minimum wage. So you have people that float through college, um, you know, not in get an AA and whatever, uh, you know, like, yeah, liberal arts degree. Great. You know, I'm never going to use this. And then they have their AA. It doesn't apply to any field they apply for but because they have an AA. But, you know, again, these employers are, are requiring someone to go 60 to 100,000 plus dollars in debt so they can get a minimum wage job. Like, that math doesn't work out on how you end up paying. I mean, you're, you're paying in perpetuity on that degree just to get a job that in a field that you didn't even go to school for. It doesn't make any sense. Right. The, there's a lot of employers that are out of touch. And that's why I think that community has to be a part of education because they have to realize, you know, that this is what's going on and this is what, you know, we can do. And if, if you want to contribute to that and pay for voca vocational school, awesome. You know, if they really want those people to have those, those degrees for a job that they don't need to use it for. What I'm sick of seeing is people taking a job because they need a job. People, yeah. you know, taking the money that, that they can't really contribute everything they have of themselves into what they want to do into society. If we let people do what the hell they want to do, can you imagine the contributions that would come from that type of freedom and that, and if you had more choices? Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, not only that, but it, it makes you, you have more freedom in, in your career and, and more joy in that. But there's like there's something I call the misery index. And uh, like a buddy of mine who was doing comedy, but he also was he wasn't doing comedy full time. He also sold cars. And I don't know if you know anyone who sells cars, Kelly, but it's it takes you you're especially now like you're basically on call 24 7 essentially it's like it's ridiculous amount of hours you know and i mean every day off because it's the only way you can make money someone wants to come in on your day off well you're going in to meet that and make that deal so he was offered uh he's like he was talking he's like i got a potential position where i can work in the parts department um and i'm like okay so what's the deal he's like well I'd work Monday through Friday. I'd work Monday through Thursday. So I'd work a day less, but, uh, and I'd have weekends off so I can travel and do comedy easily. Right. But right. he's like, I'd make considerably less money. And I'm like, all right, well, would you make enough to survive? And he's like, yeah, I'd still be surviving. Just, you know, I'm like, well, look at it this way. You still have enough money to survive. You'll now have weekends off so you can do comedy every weekend, which will make up for any money you lost. And you hate selling cars you will be so much more less you'll be so much less miserable that your life will improve in every aspect which just means you'll do better at all those things which means they'll just extrapolate and become more successful that, that's the thing i i just don't feel you should have to exchange debt for a better career if that makes any sense or exchange happiness for a better career um I just, it's to me, it's just not right. Um, yeah. One should not discount the other and there are better ways to do it. And there's better ways to educate employers and there's better, better packages to be had at less expense 
so people aren't in debt the second they walk out of of high school yeah yeah and because those people just are like a cancer like everything just kind of slow gray like low grade depression and that slowly bleeds into everything else in their life which affects those people and their things negatively if people are doing what they enjoy uh and able to have some success in or at least you know making a at least a living at something you enjoy is far more fulfilling than making a better living at something you hate i mean you know that that doing something you hate even if it's successful it's like eventually that burns you out and that that gets old and that starts to affect everything else in life and those things people around you too and also gets medical i mean if people really want health insurance to get down then maybe we should alleviate some of the mental stress yeah you know and start looking at that um i mean shoot in the book i went into how everybody just runs to you know the fast food and does this and that do i think there should be tax on it no but i do think people don't know how to balance. And then when I looked at the statistics, 95% of people didn't know that it would make them fat. You know, I mean, is that true? Do you think people really don't know it'd make them fat? Is that stupid or liar? McDonald's was sued like three times over it. I mean, it's just, you know, my God, that's, you know, it is, it's that's, uh, that. So let's get rid of the excuse, right? Let's educate them. These, you know, I mean, this is the basic food pyramid. This is how you prepare it. This is how you cook it. This is how you grow it. You know, I mean, let's take that out of the equation, see what happens. Um, and then, cause another thing that kills me <laughs> is those, I got into this, I got into watching, um, it was a 500, my 500 pound life. Yeah. And I got, I really got sucked in on the stories. And the one thing that I noticed is that the people that were able to stay at home and provide for these people because they couldn't work anymore were not given any type of education on anything about anything. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so we're not fixing this. We're not educating this. We're just perpetuating constantly <laughs> what's going on. And it really bothered me. And so I put it in the book too. I just, I don't understand why, you know, I mean, with all the health, with the, I mean, the health cost was exorbitant. I just, I don't understand why we wouldn't want to fix this as a society, at least give some education. If you're going to give them, give, give, give them a check, give them an education too. Right. You yeah. I, do you, do you think that part of the problem is that realistically those in positions of power don't want people to be empowered uh, because that does affect their bottom line as well as their ability to stay in power? Of course it does. I mean, people don't want to hand out education. How many, I mean, how much have we actually withheld education? You've seen it through decades. You've seen it, you know, with women, you've seen it with people of color. You've seen it, you know, we, we just, we don't give it out because that empowers people. Well, yeah. Knowledge is power. Right. And I mean, it's, it, it just, it doesn't ring more true than that. And then if you have knowledge plus experience, then you have wisdom. And we can't let people be having that because, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's going to get out of control. And I think, I think that's where the gig economy is stepping up and starting to take over. And, you know, people are being valued for what they actually can do and what they enjoy doing. And I think it really needs to marry in with, with education. I hope that, uh, yeah, I agree with you. And I hope that that means with the rise of this gig economy, that things are swinging back. 
uh, to where people feel motivated. Because for a long, a long time in America, I felt like a lot of people were just not that motivated, a very complacent. And like I touched on earlier, when you know a kid has uh, a you know PlayStation Four and you know, the internet and, you know, why do they need to do much more? And it even people like, you know, I mean, when I was young, if you were poor, you didn't have, you know, you didn't have a TV and you didn't have a car. Like now everyone has a cell phone, a smartphone. Everyone can afford a big screen TV. Uh, mm -hmm. Everyone can afford a car. Like there's just things are like things, are things are more expensive, but also, more ex but also cheaper in a weird way you know like more accessible like they've made it like you can yeah sure you're gonna pay on it but you can you gotta rent a sofa and you gotta pay on it in perpetuity for 80 years but you'll get one you know where so people just kind of get comfortable and complacent well they're investing in the wrong things too if you have you know six hundred dollars to buy a cell phone why not put that towards a business yeah. you know i mean it's just you know, if you have a thousand dollars for the watch, well, why didn't you do this with the money? Or why didn't you pay these? It's just, I think people are kind of so wrapped up in the things that they don't look at the cost and what it's going to cost them, you know, in time and in the long run. And I think that's a huge problem. And, and speaking of the, you know, the PlayStations and whatnot, my, one of my kids came to me the other day and <laughs> I still can't answer it. They, they, I grew up and I was reading them Dr. Seuss and whatnot for all the fun rhymes and whatnot. Yeah. Now I'm, and he's, he's playing Grand Theft Auto and they're in, um, they're in a private Catholic school where he came and they were having library week. And I guess there was a big thing at the school because they were allowing the kids to read Dr. Seuss. Yeah. But then they were saying that, you know, GTA was bad, but then he comes home and I let him do both and he can't, he can't. He's having trouble with that in his head. Why is reading bad? Why is GTA good? Yeah. You know, in one place. And why is GTA good and, or, you know, bad and, and Dr. Seuss good in another place? He's confused. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. I mean, it's just <laughs> everybody's saying so many, there's so many loud voices in this poor child's head. And I'm trying to pull them out. You know? <laughs> and, and even I don't have the, the explanations for what's on the outside. So I just let them know, you know, what's acceptable in this house let's just start there and you know we'll worry about that other stuff when you're old yeah yeah <laughs> you know what to say yeah well maybe you know then that's teaching context context of dr <laughs> seuss when you're when and how you're consuming something uh makes a difference too you know yeah i was just i was surprised with it in school but. yeah that is odd he um well what uh do you have any plans on the horizon for a third book then it's um, right now I'm doing tours too, and I'm going to be doing, um, a book called offended because, you know, I have to. Okay. So. I like it. Yeah. What, uh, <laughs> tell us, like, I'm interested in the title already. What is offended going to be about? Um, it's going to be pretty much going over everything from ordering a skinny vanilla latte at Starbucks and worrying about being fat shamed to, um, I mean, just to everything. I mean, pe people are so serious. Well, you, um, you you wrote a book on design. You can't even call your bedroom the master bedroom anymore. <laughs> I 
I can't. No, you master bedroom is not PC at all, Kelly. That that has. Oh my goodness. That has. Well, see, I'm still doing that. That has connotations <laughs> with uh, slavery. It's oh. supposed to be the homeowner's bedroom or the primary bedroom. Uh. Yeah. I mean, people really. I mean, if they want to worry about words so much, um, they can stop throwing adult words at kids. Yeah. Like like sexual assault. There was a nine-year-old in my, in my book where he was talking to his friend and he said his teacher was cute. A student teacher overheard it and took it to the principal and the kid gets expelled. Okay. So hold on. So sexual assault means one, the victim has to be in the room. Yeah. And the teacher wasn't. Um, and two, it's usually done by a person in power. This was a nine-year-old. Yeah. So oh I mean, you're throwing this huge term and there is no way that the teacher who was not assaulted in the room, but somehow assaulted because he said she was cute yeah. can stand in front of somebody that really went under sexual assault and say, it's the same thing. We need to stop this word stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's driving me nuts. It's minimizing what's real and what's offensive yeah well no you're absolutely right and um there's i mean there's cases of that in in that's an extreme case that that is a crazy scenario uh that i mean especially a kid it's like did did that teacher feel threatened that the kid was going to stay after school and sexually actually sexually assault her what was the scenario what did they really think was going to happen and also kids don't even know what they're saying. He said there she's cute. You know, puppies are cute. Yeah, exactly. Kitties are cute. Right. I mean, that's a that's a compliment. Wait, are is that are you gonna sexually assault puppies and babies, Kelly? Because you just said they're cute. So I feel like I need to tell someone. Uh, right. And that's what, that's I, I'm so scared. That's where we're going with everybody. I mean, come on. Well, there's there's there should be more context. The, you know, we've all these things, what, what do they say? The uh, road to hell was paved with good intentions, right? Uh, right. That's and and I feel like that's where we're at. Like all these ideas, like yeah, we we want we don't want to minimize uh, sexual assault. We don't want to diminish people who feel that they've had uh, things done against them, whether whatever that means. We want to at least explore it and not uh, invalidate those those feelings uh, because that can be very hurt, harmful down the road for them. Um, but we also have to look at them and compare them and understand what, you know, uh, not everything is a catch-all for sexual assault. Because, you know, I mean, now it's like, hey, uh, you know, uh, Kevin Hart, told a girl one time that she had a nice ass and she didn't like it. Uh, Bill Cosby habitually raped 47 people, but they both fall under the umbrella of sexual assault. I'm like, we need to be able to look at those things and be like, both valid that those people were upset those things happened, but which one would you rather have happen to your daughter? You know, if if you're going to tell me the same, go go fuck yourself. You got to look at it objectively. There, there is a spectrum there and people are, are, you're right. They're throwing out a large net, roping it all together and saying, this is, this is everything. The zero tolerance stuff. That's scary. I yeah. mean, that's how the kids get, get the pipeline into prisons is right there. Zero tolerance. Yeah. And, and it's to me, like I said earlier, it's all about 
with words and things you even things you do or say to me it's about context especially being a comedian i mean god you the the uh you know for a while i i i there were times where i'm like i don't know should i say that should i not say that and then in the last year i kind of said i don't care i'm just going to say it and you can be mad or not if uh if you're mad then you're not for you know i'm not for you which is fine um but it's context like i've i've never no matter what joke I'm making, I am never, uh, there's no hatred in my heart. I'm never, uh, trying to make anyone feel bad. If you're, if you're being malicious and you're trying to be an asshole and you're going after people, then, then you're just an asshole, but there's a difference, you know, sometimes. And we have to, we have to be able to look at that. Yeah. That's pretty much how I define life right there. There's assholes and there's not, there's intent and there's not, I mean, it's to me, there's very little, little ground on that you you know what you're trying to do when you talk to somebody and those who know me like you said i i you know saying master bedroom is not pc my friends they know me they wouldn't think that i meant any ill will towards anybody just for saying right. that i would be saying this is my bedroom and yeah you just say well that's it and also uh you know i consider myself a pretty pretty progressive guy um but part of the problem with with the term progressive is that progressive means there's no end. Um, and I feel like they keep moving the goalposts. So especially with language and I, and the only reason they do it is so they can control you and, and tell you what to do so they can be in charge and they can say, Hey, they want to correct you. So as soon as one, like I got into it recently with someone as, as you know, I'm an advocate for homeless and, uh, someone got on my case recently and said, it's not homeless. It's unhomed homeless is offensive. And I'm like, wait, okay. Uh, I will back it up. Um, so and if you break down, how we distract from the problem. Exactly. Break down those suffixes and prefixes. You just, (laughs) you just swap the suffix and prefix, but at the end of the day, they both mean without a home. So, uh, and also guess what at the, I'm sure if you're like, Hey, uh, by the way, I just want to let you know if he was talking to, like a bunch of homeless people, like I made sure people were calling you unhomed now and not homeless. <laughs> it's like, you're welcome. It's like, oh, thanks. That helps a lot. I'm still fucking hungry and freezing. You piece right? of shit. You. <laughs> it didn't help. I mean, it didn't help or have a solution whatsoever. That's I is I really I'm starting to think it's just a point of distraction to just keep the hand looking over here so you don't focus on what the real problem is. Well, it's, I think it's partly that. And also people just want to, uh, people want to make other people think they're on the right side of things. So they're like, well, I told someone it's not homeless. It's unhomed. So I'm a good person. Uh, that's all I have to do. Thanks. Good night, folks. I've done my part. Oh, there's your good Samaritan badge yeah, right there. And everyone's like, Oh, good job. You, you made him say the PC way to say it. It's like, that's that's not that's a zero to like um <laughs> nailed it are yeah. you kidding the i i always talk about how uh even though recently the uh the football team the washington redskins uh they changed their name to the washington football club right i um, heard that yeah. so one of the things they've been talking about changing the name for years and and part of the reason they didn't is because the nfl and the washington redskins Every time, every few years when this conversation would come up, they'd go out and they'd actually take these polls and talk to Native American people about how they felt about it. 
Um, eight out of ten Native American people said that they felt proud that a football team was named after the that was named the Redskins. It was a source of pride for them, and almost a hundred. It was over <laughs> over ninety three percent of them said we don't fucking care. Like, um, <laughs> like we have, uh, like our culture has other problems to deal with. Not that a football team is named after us, like alcoholism, right, diabetes, you know, we're, we're, you know, dying on, you know, uh, Ill, Ill treated on reservations around the country. We don't, we have bigger problems than worrying about this football team. And that's, I like <laughs> that mindset, you know, isn't that the mindset with most people though? I, I I don't think it is anymore. I wish it was, but I think it should be the mindset. I think I think so many people. I think that's changed so much where people just want to, again, like I said, be feel like they're on the right side of things and tell people what the way to do things is, and that makes them feel better. And as long as they, we're not, because we're not like critically, we're not goal based like accomplishment based anymore. We're very feelings based. So if it makes us feel good. We feel accomplished. That's not necessarily true, though. I mean, I guess I'm more solution based. Is that what you call it? Well, that's that's the thing. That's uh, uh, that's how we should be. And yes, I, I, I agree with you. I just think, you know, we're at a point where most people in America, I think, don't feel that way anymore, which is I, I think really back ass words. It is. Yeah, oh. it is. But. I don't know. Um, well, uh, Kelly, uh, tell people where they can find you, uh, follow you, get information on your past books, upcoming books, and more. Um, well, my website, my author's website is um, musingaroundlv.com, and it has all my social links on there um, for LinkedIn, um, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere. And then I also have my playing DA um, website and that's got my Twitter and all the episodes from my show on it. And my books are on Amazon. And I'm thinking that I may be having a virtual tour coming up in June. So I'll be posting that as well. Okay. Um, Well, uh, everyone make sure and go follow Kelly, find her books, look for the upcoming book offensive. I uh, I look forward to reading (laughs) that very much. I obviously, as you just learned, I have a lot of opinions on that. Uh, (laughs) So I look forward to, uh, to reading that. I'm glad there's a a voice of reason on a lot of things out there uh, when it comes to education uh, dialogue and, and all the things you're writing about. I think they're very important. So that's great. Oh, great. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, uh, guys for the, for me, uh, go to dececomedy.com, check out everything going on around the network, uh, new podcasts, new shows, and where I will be in a town near you performing live. Uh, so check it out and come see a show. Uh, that's it. So guys for the social hour, I've been decent for Kelly. Thank you very much. And we will see you guys next week.